Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. So we have a really interesting guest on the show. You may have seen him on Netflix. He's a self-made millionaire and he's turned really the business world on his head. And he is here to, to share some of his entrepreneurial secrets, also to financial freedom, real estate investing, and how to really make your entrepreneurial dreams a reality. So don't miss this chance to learn from the man who's not just playing the game, but changing it. His name is PJ Gadimi. So before we get into the show, real interesting guy, and definitely don't want to miss this. I want to give a shout out to Nisha, who left us a review on iTunes for the podcast. The podcast is engaging and informative. Great podcast for all sorts of listeners. Michael and Garrett do a great job of making sure the content is relatable for listeners who are new to investing. Anyone can learn from these episodes, and they're entertaining. I appreciate that, Nisha. Thanks so much. I got a favor to ask. If you've been enjoying our podcast, then would you mind taking a moment to also leave us a starred review? It not only helps us to improve, but it helps other folks discover the podcast. Just hit the stars, drop us a few words. It really means the world to us. So thanks so much for tuning in, for being an amazing part of our podcast community. I want to highlight anyone that we know has done a deal. If you have done a deal, definitely reach out to us via the website. Let us know you've done a deal. We've had Ch Chad Sheeler. He closed a 67-unit in Richmond, Indiana, deal valued at $3.9 million. And he was a mentoring student of ours. Not everybody who does deals are mentoring students, but many of them are. It's just really the best program on the planet to help you get your first deal done. If you go through mentoring, the deals will be bigger. You'll get your goals faster and you'll avoid some of the bigger mistakes so that you might be able to get into in this investing world. So if that's you, let's have a conversation. Go to themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and let's just have a conversation. You're going to get a lot more clarity about what's important to you. And if we can help point in, or on, in the right direction, then we'd be happy to do that. TheMichaelBlank.com forward slash mentor. So with that, let's bring on our co-host, Garrett Lynch. What's going on? What's going on, Michael? So we had just a massive event, almost a non-event. But the, the reason it's an event is that the Fed paused, right? He, they've been increasing, I don't know, what, 10 rate hikes? I don't know, 12? Massive. Since and now March they didn't. What, is, what does that mean? What does it mean? It means that they're, so the, the main thing it means is that they, they haven't won the war on inflation yet, but they feel comfortable enough to take a pause. They're, they're concerned about breaking the economy too quickly by doing the rate hikes. They, they, so they finally hit the pause button. And what's getting impacted by this on the, on the negative side of your, the credit card interest rates are at the all-time highs. You've got home loans that are at all-time highs. Same thing with uh, your auto loans, student loans, all those things are getting impacted by them raising the rates. And so this is an, a nice turn to see them pause. Now, wh whether they're going to continue to pause, we don't know. They probably, there's, it's not likely that they're going to bring them down, but this is at least a breath of fresh air for, for a lot of people out there. Yeah, I think they signaled that they might raise twice you know, for another half point, which compared to last year is nothing. I mean, even if they raise a whole half point, ooh, okay, that's nothing compared to the five points they raised last last year. And I think I think because they're slowing, 
it's going to start to stabilize the, the debt markets. And I think that really is the reason we've seen a decline in prices, right? Would you, would you agree is it's what, what's, what's going on in the debt markets because of the rate with which interest rates have gone up? Yeah, that's, that volatility is a big component. People that are buying rate caps, volatility is a third of the reason that those things go up, right? So with, with uncertainty that there's fear and panic in the markets and it causes things to spike. So it's it's good that there's at least a pause here and it, things seem to be slowing down. That rate of increase was just, was causing so much panic and fear. So that's, we're hopefully on the other side of that right now. Yeah, I think so too. I think, I think it'll start increasing the deal flow as well, the volume. It's been come to a screeching halt because sellers are still up here and buyers are like down here primarily because of what's happened in the debt market. So I think I think that'll start giving us some more opportunity as well. Why don't you introduce our guest, Garrett, because you know a lot about this really interesting guy, PJ. Yeah, P- PJ is amazing. I've, I've known him for a number of years. I, I first got to know him as I became a customer of his program, Exotic Car Hacks. I was losing money on buying cars. And I was like, I don't want to lose money anymore. And one of my friends actually who was in multifamily turned me on to him and said, I was like, you know, this looks a little gimmicky. I don't know what this is. And then turns out it was legit. And I uh, ended up buying a car a couple years ago, and then I sold it a, a couple years later. So I put like 8,000 miles on it. And then I, I, it was awesome. And I flipped out of it and made like 20 grand on it. And I got back all my equity. So I was, I was floored. So I just got over time, got to know this guy. I mean, he's, he's got three books out there. He's just, an, he's an amazing entrepreneur. He's got basically does something called exotic car hacks where you can buy a car, have it hold its value, flip out of it and either break even or make money on it. And then he does similar thing with watches. So luxury assets is what he really focuses on. That's his business, but he's got an amazing online marketing company and financial literacy company and all kinds of things going on. So really excited to get into the show with PJ Gadimi. PJ, welcome to the show today, man. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah. So so you're just kind of like this huge influence in in the space of luxury assets and and just in general. You're you're a phenomenal entrepreneur. How did you get into entrepreneurship? So, well, first off, out of necessity, when I was very young, it was primarily based on not having a green card and not having an option, right? You need to eat, you need to figure out how to make a dollar. So that was my my original take at it was was more self-employment, I should say, than entrepreneurship. And then over time, I got finally got a green card and got a great career in banking. And that was a fantastic like about decade of my life. And past that, once I got fired from that incredible six-figure job, I started rethinking my approach to, I'm not going to drink the Kool-Aid again. Like I drank it the first time, I thought it was fantastic. And so the second time, it wasn't really about like, oh, I just don't want to work for people because I really enjoyed my career and my job, you know, but it was more about like, I felt capped, you know, and I said, if I'm going to start over again, and I got fired, like, why would I go back and start the same thing for the same cap? So the idea that to have a business was more of a limitless opportunity. But, you know, I really had to learn the rules of business before becoming an entrepreneur and innovating that aspect of it. So it took me a good, like, probably I would say like 10 plus years before 
I even dabbled into real entrepreneurship from really the time I started getting into business. So were you working at the at the time, PJ? 10 years, you actually had some kind of W-2 job or what were you doing in that? The, talk about that transition between W-2 and being completely on your own because that can be a very unsettling time. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, a, a big part of it was that having a W-2 job feels good and you feel excited because you're like, oh, well, I'm guaranteed money, right? But then it, it's really about your your personal take on what is good money and what is real money. Like, you know, I've always had aspirations to have, you know, multi-million dollar homes and, and cars and planes and stuff and things that the majority of people would say, well, this is for a later time. You know, I've always wanted to have a Lamborghini very young. I achieved that goal like in my early 20s. So when you get to these things early on, you kind of feel like, well, if I'm in my 20s doing what most people are doing in their 60s or 70s, then what's next, right? And when you can't see that path to exponential growth, because the next level, once you have a million dollar house and you have a, a 200K car, isn't just, oh, well, the next car is 250 and the next house is 1.2 million, you know, like you got to really step up. So you got to figure out multipliers. And I just never understood what the multipliers were in the business role I had in my W-2. So I was like, even if I became the CEO of that bank, right? Even if I became the highest top tier person, like I wasn't going to have a $5 million yacht. I wasn't going to have an airplane. You know, like I looked at these things and that didn't really appeal to me. So, you know, when that transition happened, it wasn't about like, well, I got fired. So it kind of made it easy. You know, I already had a side business time, but even when I left, the benefit I had is that I've always taken having a job very seriously. And I felt that jobs are very necessary for people that lack skills. A lot of people want to go to business very early on before getting a job. They do that as a means of hating the norm, or they talk about hating the idea of being a, a, a puppet to someone or making someone else rich. I never looked at it that way. I said, look, I lack skills. Clearly, I'm, I'm young. I, I don't know how to do things. So I'm going to get a job to learn. I'm going to get a job working for individuals I want to work for. And if I'm being paid a salary, then that's a huge bonus. You know, so I'm thankful to be able to get a job. And then from there, just, you know, leaving that job, I didn't leave it poor because I, I had $3 million in my savings account. I wasn't like broke. You know, I, I had real estate investments. I had made money. I owned my home. I mean, I, I got fired with a Lamborghini and like literally a month after getting fired, my new half a million dollar Lamborghini came in, you know? So it wasn't like, it wasn't like I was completely like, oh my God, I never did anything and I was fired and I had to reinvent myself. It was more like, hey, corporate America was a great learning experience, but it's capped. And the cap just wasn't going to do it for me. So instead of going back into corporate America without a plan, I decided I got to go and just start rethinking how I look at life. You know, when you're looking at, I mean, not a lot of people have gotten to the level that you've gotten in, in even in entrepreneurship. How did you keep leveling up and getting to that next income level, making sure that you weren't capped and and seeing the bigger picture? What What are some ways that you went about doing that? So for me, it wasn't, you know, a lot of people say I had this big vision of creating this next Apple company or something that's like huge and et cetera. On the contrary, like it was quite the opposite for me. I said, what am I really good at, right? Like I was like, hey, I have a background of finance. I'm fantastic at this stuff. I understand money beyond and above what other individuals my age understand. And I have this competitive advantage having had skills and an understanding of finance system. But then I said, what am I passionate about? I said, cars, watches, luxuries, things that I had from a young age because I earned it. So I was like, well, you know, like how do I combine the the two and then ensure I get better year after year? So 
Like, in other words, I was always a teacher, even for my corporate America career, I was always teaching others how to be better managers, how to be better salespeople. And that was my leadership strategy it was always education. So I've, I've never really changed my tune, though. I think that's what I attribute the huge success we've had across all my companies to is that I've never changed. People constantly change direction, you know, and, and for me, it was more like, how do I take imagine how powerful you can be if you commit to becoming better at your craft every day for 20 years? Like, imagine if you said you're a plumber, like just a plumber, like this is something most people would never associate with being rich. But I know plumbers that have Lamborghinis, you know. So instead of saying like, well, a plumbing job will never make me millionaire. That's not true. A, a plumbing job may not. But being the best plumber, the city or the town or the states I've ever seen means you probably have a pretty big plumbing company and people that are doing that trade for you. So you know, thinking more towards yourself and the skill set you have, and then being willing to commit a really long period of time mastering this the set of skills is really a necessity. I mean, look, I, at some point, it was about 2008, I had a company doing nine figures in, in revenue, and we were fantastic. Like, I mean, fantastic company, a lot of fun. Most people would kill to be in my position at that time, you know. And, and to me, the first thing I look at is I go, wait a minute, we're not going to survive the next five years. Meaning like the, the tide will change. Things will will just be different. People will notice we're making too much money. They will say, what's that guy doing? You know, like we need to get in his space. And so what I did is I said, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to figure out a way to digitize what we're doing. And I'm going to take it online. And I'm going to figure out not how to not be a teacher anymore or not do the same thing we're doing and completely go into a new game but rather, how do I take what I'm doing and digitize it instead of how do I reinvent a new business? How do I digitize what's working? Because that's the future. So instead of looking at it then as I need to reinvent myself, I said, how do I just expand myself in this new place? But here's the difference between me and other people. I quit my company as CEO and went to learn for five years how to make money online before digitizing my nine-figure company. So think about this. Like, you're making a ton of money and you go, I'm finally rich. I'm finally have all this money. I'm finally able to do all the things I want. And you go, in order to maintain that and be able to grow past that, because I'm still not in a place where I had at the time two airplanes and this and that and this, you know, like whatever you want. So I said, how do I get to, to that place? Well, I clearly, if the trajectory is that in five years, I'm going to have 40 competitors and be out of business or, or be sharing that revenue with 10 other people. Probably not a good place to be, right? So I have to think further and say, what I want to digitize myself, but I know nothing about the internet. I know nothing about blogging. I know nothing about selling stuff online. So I go, I'm going to take four or five years, build a business online just to learn how money is made online. And then I'm going to digitize my existing business to tap into that resource. And look, in the first four years I, I thought online, there were three of us like built this first company that had nothing to do with my larger nine figure company. And it literally made $40,000. So I gave up a $3 million salary, like a $2.7 million salary to go and learn how to make $40,000 split between three people for four years. But you know what happened the year after we made $400,000 and the year after we made $3 million. And what happened there is it took me basically five and a half years to learn how to make $3 million in net profit on the internet. But what was really powerful about that is that it took me, you ready for this, one year when I launched my second platform to make my first million, took me one quarter the next platform I launched. And now we 
we won't launch a new company unless we kind of guarantee it does a million dollar on opening day. You know, so there, there's a very different dynamic of a, of a playing field, but this is the power of investing in yourself from a state of, I have to learn how to be the best at this. And that may take years. I mean, people think they can go to medical school for 15 years, but when it comes time to starting a business, they should just figure it out in three weeks. And unfortunately, that's not how this works. What what do you think makes a powerful platform? Because you're really good at building. Yours is huge. I mean, it's 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 twofold. I think it's it's giving up the early money for the for the long term survival of the platform. You know, like I'm approached probably 10, 15 times a day. Would would you like to sell my course to your students? Would you like to I, I have this new course on real estate, on Bitcoin, on this and that? Oh, we're making millions doing this. I can share this with you. And I'm like, no. And they're like, I don't understand why you would not. Grant Cardone had me on his stuff. I'm like, I don't give a shit what Grant Cardone does. You know, like, because <laughs> the way I look at it is like, okay, well, it's not about what other people do or how popular you are. It's how relevant you'll be in 10 years because I still plan to be here. That's the difference. You see, like I'm not building an infomercial business that's going to be gone in three weeks and, and where I'm leaving and students are left in the, well, go fuck yourself. Forgive me for saying, and I don't care. I'm saying I want to practice my trade for the next 30 years, even if it's in different capacities. I want to be that guy still. So how do I ensure that tomorrow I don't have to wake up to the guy I just helped sell courses ended up in a class action lawsuit with 500 guys? you know, for extorting them out of money and running away. Like, well, well, these are the changes I've had in my life that have enabled me to say no to early money for for real long-term, not just authenticity, but real community built, right? Like I protect my students. In other words, this is important to me. Like I protect my assets because they are my testimonials, you know? I mean, we ban so many students that could have made us so much more money if we sold them extra products and services, but we ban them because they're not, they're not a fit for the program. Now, when we ban them, if they've just joined, we give them a refund, you know, even if they're out of their refund policy. If we don't believe a student is going to be the right student, we don't want them disturbing the class, basically. So the way I look at it is why if, if you don't if you don't like me as a teacher, even though I'm I'm not to, to be fair, I try not to be likable on the Internet. I try to be honest. There's two completely different things. Right. I'm a teacher first, not a marketer. So I don't really give a shit if someone likes me or not. But to me, if someone is going to say, look, I hate that guy. He's a jerk. He's annoying. He keeps talking about these things. I don't, but I bought his course anyways. I don't want that guy in my community. I don't give a shit what you paid. Because, because first off, you're going to disturb the class. Every time I say something, you're going to be like, I don't like that guy. He's annoying. Why don't you guys look into this guy or that thing? And, and I'm like, look, listen, if you're not here to learn, you pick the teacher. I didn't force you to come here. I didn't force you to open your credit card and like buy my program, any of them to be fair, right? Like you wanted to learn something. You don't believe there's value in the person teaching. You're not going to learn anything. So there's no point whatsoever in being a dead student in my classroom. So just the fuck out. And we get rid of people that way, like very, very fast. And I think being authentic to is a big part of building great platforms, like being yourself and sticking true to your data and what you know, and not allowing the opinion of others or the agreeability of others to really drive your decision factor in your community. Like a lot of teachers want to agree with their students or feel make their students feel good about being part of the community. I don't really give a shit. I'm like, listen, this is how classes run. I'm the teacher. I teach you, not you tell me how you want to be taught. If that's not a fit, then go find it elsewhere. 
If you want to work with a full-time syndicator to help you get up to speed faster, get your first deal done this year, and scale your portfolio so you can quit your job, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. It's the only program out there that actually guarantees results. That's right. We actually guarantee that you do your first deal in the first year. Otherwise, we'll keep working with you. And set up a, a strategy session call and explore whether it's right for you. It's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Hey, it's interesting. So when you got fired, obviously, a decision was made for you. But it seems to me like you figured out a mechanism to reinvent yourself. And how, what, is, what is your advice? When should people reinvent themselves? And then how do you actually do it? Because in order to get to the next level, sometimes you have to let go of the previous one. If you, if you can't do that, you can't go to the next level. So what advice do you have for someone to reinvent themselves to get to the next level? So that's the trap of life, right? Like making 100K a year is comfortable. You, you don't want to lose that. Making a million dollars a year is comfortable. You don't want to lose that. And, and, and the argument is, it's a scale game, right? Like making a million a year is plenty to have a great life, right? Like most people that would make a million in, in dollar profit a year in their pocket would probably be really well off and probably have a lifestyle they're very happy with, you know, like a really nice house, really nice things. And they might have families, children, you know, like wives, whatever. And there's a support mechanism that comes there. And there's this fear that what if I go for the bigger piece and what if I miss it, right? And what if I, I lose this because it took me so long to get here? So th that's where the risk comes. So one thing that's really important early on is to never get attached to your wins ever. This is something a lot of people feel very differently on. They're like, you have to celebrate all your wins. Like every time you do something fucking stupid, just be like, it worked. Oh my God. Like we're going to go out. We're going to like celebrate. We've got our first client. And, and the way I look at it is I go, no, you don't do that shit because that makes you start to feel comfortable about winning when you haven't won the war or the big game. Imagine if every time in a war, the soldiers that won one single battle against a tank were like, all right, we're going to go party now because we blew up that tank. Well, they'd be dead by the morning, right? So, so the way you got to basically look at it is like you can't celebrate until peace has come and the, the victory that you seek has been achieved. So the majority of times why people get stuck is they never really knew what they wanted to begin with. So if you ask someone, what do you want in life? They'd be like, I want to be rich. I want to have a nice car. I want to have a nice house. I want to have like all the money for my wife, for my kids. But they don't really define that. What does that look like? Like, what is rich to you? It's like, well, I want a million dollars. But that's like cliche, right? Like, how do you, like, what does that look like? Like, what, what does that mean per month? Like, what are you really looking to have with that million bucks? Because having a million dollars cash, once you start buying assets, basically you're broke again. You don't have shit. So like by the time you have a down payment on a house and you have this, you're like you don't have anything. So like most people that want to be millionaires basically don't even understand what it means to be a millionaire or like what it means to really have millions to spend, which is completely different by from saying I made a million dollars. I think to, to reinvent yourself is one, you have to have a really good idea of what you're trying to invent to begin with because you can't reinvent if you don't really know what you were trying to invent to begin with. So first, you may not have a skill or a trade. So you might be more focused about inventing a lifestyle, meaning like a dollar that that gives you that, that dollar you want. But two, at some point, you're going to have to invent the person more than the outcome, which means that you're not inventing the dollar that you're going to make, but you're inventing and reinventing and continuously improving the human being that makes that dollar. So like, what is that person needing to look like to get to the next level? 
When we focus on the external, every time something blocks us or something occurs along the way, it prevents us from finding like ourselves because we go, oh, I didn't meet that goal. Like some years I have maybe less revenue, you know, than the year before, like it goes up and down, just like that's how business works. But but I've never been not as good at my job a year after the previous one. So like even if revenue may have gone down out of context, it still didn't change that I was a better person, meaning I was better equipped to be who I am or have learned more and reinvented myself to ensure that doesn't happen again. But as a result, when economic factors are in your favor, then suddenly you skyrocket because you're the first one sitting there. I mean, I could give you a simple example of saying nothing different than there were a lot of people that were in a good position to make incredible money right at the edge of COVID, you know, like right before the pandemic started. And they were in a good place. And then something like the pandemic that you can't even like guess, right? This isn't like you wake up and you're like, all right, the world's dying from this shit. We don't know what it is or how it works. Everybody's dying. Okay, cool. So now everything's stopped. Every country's closed. So we don't know what's going on. Our supply chain is disturbed, blah, blah, blah. There were a lot of people who went into hiding from that and fear. And I got strategic and doubled down. When everything reopened, I like 20X my business in like three months because I didn't let a, a circumstance just get me to go backwards, right? I said, I am who I am. I'm going to figure out how to like navigate this. And I stood and I said, maybe we stand still. We don't know what's going on, but I'm standing by the door, right? Like as soon as it opens, we're out and running. And there are people who the first thing they were doing is trying to figure out like, okay, so how do we downsize our business out of yeah. here? Like, how do we make sure totally. I keep more money in my pocket right now? You know, like, yeah, that, that's ridiculous. I mean, we, the same thing. We were like, we're not doing that. Let's keep, keep moving with our business. PJ, I'm curious, how do you specifically define financial freedom? And why is it so important? So financial freedom to me is simply defined by the capacity to not have to have the opportunity cost for the for the lifestyle you want versus the investments you need. So what that means is like you need X amount of investments to maybe make money or do something or whatever it is in your business. And you don't have to basically sacrifice or choose how else you're going to live as a result of that investment. So once you define like what the lifestyle you want looks like, then are you able to sustain that freely of any business or side decisions you have to make? Like there's a lot of guys that'll say, well, I got to sell my car because we're buying a new building. There is a, I need to get rid of this because I need to pay payroll. You know, I, I need to get rid of the jet to do that. You don't have to. So the, the argument is you're you're financially free when you're free of these mechanisms that dictate that. You're also free to change your business model without the fear or change of how that impacts your business. Like that's a big thing. Like a lot of people are like, I want to be a, a woke company, but then they suffer financially to change their mind, you know, or I want to be a far right company and then change their mind, you know, like once they see the implication of how to change their business. So they can't really exercise business in the means or way that's important to them. They can only exercise it the way the environment or the people will allow them to, right? So that's when you're still a slave to your customers, basically. At, at that point, you're still like, whatever my customer says, I have to be agreeable, you know? Yeah. And why is it important to be financially free versus broke? Well, I would say if I had to choose between how important is freedom versus versus poverty, I'll tell you this, this very simple thing. 
life is about experience. That's all we we make money for. We make money so we can create better experiences. That's that's all we do. That's all money can be translated or converted to. It's an experience. You make money, you can have a better travel experience, you can have a better restaurant experience, you can have a better food experience, a better love experience, a better anything. Now, money does not buy love, but it certainly buys the circumstance that surrounds the ability for love to exist without any interference, right? Like you're like, hey, uh, life's a lot more fun when you're going on vacations, eating at the best restaurants, right? Not worrying about what school your kids go to because of how much it costs. You're not getting fights in anything, right? Like, I mean, you're getting what you want, right? So most people will be like, well, you know, it's not how like money doesn't do that. I'm like, yeah, it does. Technically, you know, until you've had it, you really don't have the experience. So you don't have context, right? So I've been broke and I've been rich and I can tell you the experiences are just better. And it's actually funny. The other day I was at a, a restaurant with my mom and we order scones, right? And she's like, no, no, don't order scones. They're terrible. And and my mom is like the, she never graduated the we got rich thing. So she's still like in that for 25 years of her 80 years, we were basically like really poor and hard, you know, on her life. Like she went from being rich to like really broke. And because she was an only single mother and I'm an only child, like she did everything for us to survive, including stealing my Christmas gifts and doing stuff that they really got her mindset into this survival safety thing. And she's like, don't order scones, they're terrible. And I'm like, why would you say scones are terrible? They're delicious. We're at this like five-star resort. I'm like, they're amazing. She's like, no, 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 they're not. They're hard. And I'm like, no, no, poor people's scones are hard. Like rich people's scones are, are like soft and warm. And she's like, yeah, try it. She's like, oh my God, I love scones now. I'm like, exactly. So you see, like, this is a perfect simplistic view of an of a life experience that's as simple as a, a, a scone that you would buy for $1.50 somewhere, right? Like a cheap cafe. Versus here, you're paying $25 for three scones, you know, that are served to you on a crystal plate with some like whipped cream on it. But it's it's a chef made scone. So it tastes better. We can say the same thing about a five star steakhouse, a $600 steak in Outback. I, I can guarantee you there's no single person who's ever gone and eaten a $500 steak that's going to turn around and say, I can't wait to go have Outback tomorrow morning. Right. And you cannot undo things like cars and watches too. Like you can drive a Ferrari. Right. And you can own one for a year, then go poor because something happens in your business and you have to sell it. But you will get back and you will get a far. You will never settle again for a Honda or something, because once you felt it, that's how our bodies and our humanity is made. Basically, our senses are prone that we can only move forward like time. Right. Like so we're built in a manner that allows us only to enjoy better and better experiences, never backwards, just like time doesn't go backwards. So it's so important to understand that that's what money is and leverage is created with wealth and experience is created with wealth. And so now I can tell any single person who is satisfied with their life now and is afraid to break the next step, go and do the things that the next step does and you will automatically work your ass off to become the next step. Like like go and basically if you have a, a nice Lexus, try to buy like a Lamborghini. Like buy it, own it for a year, do it the right way, do it with exotic car acts, whatever you do. You don't have to lose money, just buy it. You'll see that the experience of it will never allow you to go backwards. Now you, and suddenly randomly out of nowhere, your business will make three times more money and it will force you to basically be in a position to own two of those and be like, oh my God, like I, I'm just making so much more money now. And it, what we don't realize is that the, our internal drives are built that way. And so if we, focus ourselves onto that, then we typically do really well. So give us some practical tips for individuals seeking financial freedom 
that may that maybe don't have it yet. So never hang out with an agreeable room. Always hang out with people of opposite opinions. So it crushes your awareness. Negate yourself every day. This is something that I've done for my whole life that has been probably my most powerful tool is I have to accept that every truth I accept as my universal truth can be equally debunked at any given time. Therefore, I am never disappointed when I find out the truth somewhere else, three weeks later, three months later, three years later, as shit, I've lived my life the wrong way. You know, Instead, I think of it as I just didn't know better. I now have evolved to that. And with information and seeking information on an ongoing basis, you do that. I think that's really important. And then two, really align your financial, even financial plan with the intent you attempt or want to get out of it. So like a good example would be so many people say, I have savings and I'm like, great, like savings are good. Like you should have some level of savings to ensure if something happens, you're in a good or able to ride out a storm. But that's all savings are good for. That's, that's There's nothing else that savings is good for. But people get stuck in this place where they go, I have to have more savings. Well, I go, okay, fair argument. Now, how will having more savings get you to your financial goal? Well, I want to, well, what's your financial goal? I want to make 20 grand a month. Okay, well, you're making two grand a month at home, like working from your job. Where is the financial plan to bridge that gap? Like, like how will savings get you closer to 20 grand a month? Do you have a mutual fund plan? Do you have a stock plan? Do you want to put the savings in stocks? That's why you're saving. A lot of people just do things because they've been told to do things. They're, they're programmed to do things. They're not actually thinking about how does that get me there? And to me, that was this, the thing that got me out of corporate America mentally. It was like, okay, I'm driving a Lamborghini. Everyone else of my peers that's making a hundred to a quarter million dollars a year is driving a black Lexus. I clearly don't fit in this shithole. doesn't matter how cool it is or not. Like, I just don't fit here. I have a bright orange Lamborghini. Everybody drives black Lexus. Someone is different and it's not them. I'm not going to convince 20 people to change. I'm the one that doesn't fit here. So like, what is it that I want? Oh, will the next job get it to me? Nope. Will the job above that get it to me? No. Will the job above above that get it to me? No. Then if I got promoted three times magically, to the highest level CEO position in the next five years, even though it's never historically happened, I still wouldn't have the financial freedom I want. So why stay on this path? If even a miracle occurred, I wouldn't be happy. So it, it doesn't align to reality. And I think most people are so afraid to face that because that means they might have to change jobs. They would have to think about how to come up with a business idea that they just freeze and go, well, I guess time will make me figure that out. And unfortunately, time will make you rot like an apple that's not being eaten. You can put it in the fridge, but it's still going to rot. It's just going to take a lot longer. And that's basically what society and a job is. It's not that it's bad. It gives you time to figure it out, but it can also crush you if you get really complacent with how much time you have. PJ, it's been so great talking to you today. How can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out? So I'm really easy to get a hold of. You can go to learnfrompj.com. You'll see all my books online courses and everything else. I teach a lot about entrepreneurship, human consciousness. And then outside of that, I also teach financial literacy through Exotic Car Hacks and Watch Trading Academy on how to make luxuries basically your best assets instead of liabilities. But you can also find me on Instagram at, at iCreateMillionaires. Awesome. PJ, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. 
we'll, we'll catch you later. Appreciate you guys having me on. Be well. The thing that stuck with me, Garrett, is you know related to financial freedom. But what you asked him, what your what his advice is, and he says, you know, align your financial plan with what you want. And and this is so true. I think I think the biggest problem is people don't know what they want. And then they don't align the plan with what they say they want, right? So if you want financial freedom, you can't save your way there. I mean, I, I had I just saw like the fire method, you know, the retire at age 30 or something like that, where you're supposed to rate save 50% of your income and basically eat ramen noodles for 22 years. Did you know that if you wanted to have $80,000 per year, okay, you would have to save $2 million, okay, $2 million. And if you had $80,000 you're earning right now net after taxes and you invested 40,000, half of that at 7% for the next 22 years, you would have $2 million, okay? So you'd have to live like a pauper for 22 years, save $2 million so you can live off 4% of that, right? That's the rule of thumb. And I, 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 can't, I just can't believe it. And it's because PJ said that we're all programmed to say, we got to save and invest in the stock market. And if we do that long enough, when we're 65 years old, maybe we can retire and not work at the grocery store. And that just really, really irritates me to no end. And it's because, because we are so programmed to do what everybody else around us does. And he found a way. He continually reinvented himself. And I think that's really cool. I think we need to reinvent ourselves. So if we want to become financially free, we're going to have to maybe do something that not everybody is doing. And in our case, in our world, it's buying apartment buildings. And in our world, real estate, we're all programmed to do the Burr method, to wholesale, to landlord, to flip houses. Like anyone who's got real estate on a brain, that's what they're programmed to do. And it's so asinine. Because if you think it through, how many houses would you have to burr? How many houses would you have to own to generate $10,000 per month. Like it's a staggering amount of money. And I think to me, that was a main message that he was saying is, man, just align your plan with what you say you want. Yeah. And I love the parallel he's he makes when he's saying that being rich just allows you better experiences. And that that's really so, ha- or having financial freedom gives you those, those better ex- experiences. And so you know, that's so true. I mean, it was very, very simple the way he said it, but, and it's really, if you're getting into this, obviously you do things every day that make you happy, but you can reap the benefits of that by going and having just a better experience in life overall. And the big part of that, that I, the other thing he said that I really liked was not getting attached to your wins. I think too many times people get attached to their wins and then they'll just sit back and they're comfortable and then that's it. They're not, they're, they're set. They're not satisfied with, you know, moving ahead. They just want to sit there and be comfortable. And I really resonated with that because I, at one point did that and it was the most miserable experience, uh, getting out of my first company, going through that and just watching my bank account go down dwindle and I wasn't making any progress forward. So I thought that was really good. Yeah, I'm reading a book right now called 10X is Easier Than 2X by Dan Sullivan and a co-author, I can't remember, but it's fascinating because it actually talks about that 2X thinking is simply doing more of what you're already doing, okay? But that's not going to allow you to actually 10X. In order to 10X, you have to let go of what you have that's gotten you this far because you can't 10X by not letting go of what's gotten you this far. So if you want to reinvent yourself and reach that next level like PJ has done, you got to let go 
of what you've what you've done. And now you don't have to just simply let it go. You can delegate that piece, but so many people will hold on to that thing for dear life. They'll hold on to their job for dear life. They'll hold on to whatever it is and they just won't let go. And I think that's really, really, really good advice. So a lot of good mindset stuff here from PJ. And this guy is so successful. And what I respect about him is that he makes it to a, a one level, a super level. And then he says, you know what? There's another level above, um, above that. And I think to me, we didn't talk about it, but I think it's he sees it as a personal challenge. Like, I think whether he's making one or $3 million at the end of the day probably doesn't make a bit of difference. I think he takes it as a personal challenge to continue elevating himself to, to discovering that next level. I think it keeps him, keeps him sharp and challenged. So I love that. Now, if you're listening to this and you're interested in investing with us, we'd love to have a conversation with you at Nighthawk Equity. If you're a high income earner and maybe you're paying too many taxes, looking for cash flow and appreciation, you're not going to be the active entrepreneur. You don't have any interest in that. You don't have the time to do that. And you're looking to passively invest in multifamily syndications. We'd love to have a conversation with you at nighthawkequity.com. So go ahead and do that now while it's still fresh on your mind. So hopefully you were inspired by PJ. Let's get out there and reinvent ourselves. Talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.